We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Don't quit. Get up. Keep going. When I was in my 20s, in the early days of Open Heaven, I, myself and a bunch of friends planted Open Heaven when we were about 21 years old. And um, in those early days, I wrote a talk, and I read it a few days ago, and the talk is called Good Finishers, Brackets, Not Just Good Starters. And I wrote that talk because of two things. One was a quote that I had heard recently from a leader in the Chinese church who had been imprisoned for 22 years of his life. And he said this of the Western church, many of them are good starters, but not many of them are good finishers. And that really hit me when I was in my early 20s. And the other reason I wrote that talk on being a good finisher was an observation of how some people further ahead of me were quitting faith when times got tough. And so um, I wrote that talk, and um, I remember preaching it. It was one of the finalist commissioning gatherings, and uh, it's actually a talk that was really formative, probably taught me more in terms of writing it and, and coming from a real place of deep conviction as much as the people who were listening to it because I still remember it and I still go back to some of those principles of what it means to be a good finisher and not just a good starter. And, and Rich knows that we have these conversations, there's something deep inside me that is resolved no matter what happens in my time on earth I want to finish the race well I want to be an old lady who is loving Jesus passionately and going after him with all I've got um, the verse from 1 Corinthians 9, um, verses 24 and 25, were really important to me uh, back then in my early 20s. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And I learned that bit. And I would encourage you guys to learn that. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I wanted to live with the end in mind. I wanted to live with the echo of the well done, good and faithful servant. I wanted, I'm gonna get emotional, I wanted to be a good finisher and never quit and it's still my goal and it's been tested but I want to say to you I'm still running that race even if now with a bit of a limp and one of the things that I think is really important for us as a church family and a church community is that when we're seeing people who are running the race and not quitting that we tell them well done um, it might even be that right now you're aware of people in this room and you know that what's going on in their lives right now means it could be possible for them to quit 
And I want at the end of our gathering for you to have made sure that you have said to them, well done. Well done, you are not quitting. Well done, you have not backed down. You are still going and you're still going after the prize. And as I have been now in church leadership for nearly 30 years, I've seen there's a number of ingredients that are needed for people to run the race well in such a way that they don't quit and they get the prize. The first one is tenacity. That means a grit. That means a resolve. That means a conviction. That means a decision that is made in the deepest part of who you are, in your spirit, in the core of your being, a decision that says, no matter what, I am going to follow Jesus. We talked about making disciples. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Someone who just says, you know, I am setting my face. There's a little Bible verse that says, set my face like a flint that I won't look back. So we need tenacity. The second thing we need is a right view of ourselves and a right view of God. In the different years of ministry and talking to, to many different people about all kinds of issues and things that get in the way of people's lives and, and faith and following God, so often it comes down to people haven't got a right view of themselves as a child of God, a son or a daughter of the King of Kings, and they haven't got a right view of God. And so I want to encourage you Dig deep in those two things because most every issue that trips people up comes to a wrong view of themselves or a wrong view of God. So dig deep into it. Get the scriptures out. Write them out. Who are you in God? Who does Jesus say you are? What's your primary identity? Not your secondary identity. Your secondary identity is, you know, like what you might do in terms of job or what you might study or your relationship status. That's your secondary identity. Your primary identity is you are a child of the King of Kings. You are a bearer of the divine image with all the power of heaven invested into you. You are magnificent. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Skyscrapers bow down and trees applaud these children of another dimension. You are incredible in God's sight. And so know who you are because that's going to really help you with the ups and downs of life. And know who God is. He is a loving father who loves you with a never-ending, passionate unrelenting love. Know these things. Go deep in these things because that's going to really hold you through. So you need tenacity. You need to know who you are and know who God is. And you need a long-term view of the future that is rooted in biblical truth. If you're going to keep going and not quit the race, if you are all going to become old men and old women who are passionate after Jesus, until your dying day, you need to have the long-term view, the overarching arc of what the Bible says is going to happen in the future. So I'm going to come on to what that is. This passage has got some golden keys in it to finish well and never quit. So we're going to look then at verses 7 and 8. It says, be patient, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. 
and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now we know, don't we, that the early church lived with this heightened expectation that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And there were obviously some signs of impatience because James has to tell them to be patient while they wait. So they were impatient. They were agitated. Maybe they were frustrated. Maybe they, they were maybe grumbling to each other. When's he coming? When's he coming back? How long, oh Lord, until you come back and make everything right, until you restore all things and so James is saying, be patient until the Lord's coming. Wait, he's saying, trust God's timing. Just as a farmer knows the right time for harvest, so God knows the right time for Jesus to come back. And it's a really strange thing, you know, because I almost feel like now there's been this pendulum swing and we're almost in the opposite place to the early church. The early church were like, When's he coming? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? There was an impatience about Jesus coming back. And rather than a heightened expectation, I actually wonder if there's any expectation at all that Jesus is coming back. Deep down, do we actually believe it's going to happen? Do we think this world, this current age, will end by artificial intelligence taking over, by a meteorite, by a global nuclear war. If we do, we're being more influenced by Netflix than we are by the Bible. Because we read and know that Jesus is coming back and he will restore all things. There'll be new heavens, new earth. And when he comes back, it's not going to be as a baby. It's going to be as the king of the cosmos. And everybody is going to know. So just reflect for a moment. Do you actually believe that what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus is true? Is it anything you've ever thought about? Because I want to suggest to you, there is an actual calendar day when Jesus will return. And Jesus himself said it would be like lightning going from east to west. Everybody will know. Jesus also says this in Matthew 24, verse 36, but about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He also says, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus knew he was coming back, and he tells us a bit about it. So the question is, does Jesus lie, or is he telling the truth? Is he actually coming back? And if he is, we need to take that seriously. In fact, the early church were expecting him back, which perhaps means by definition it was unlikely to happen because he says it's going to happen when people aren't expecting it. So the timing of when Jesus returns is perhaps when so much time has passed, it's almost gone off our radar as an actual possibility. So, I mean, this is true. We are nearer now than we ever have been to Jesus coming back. That's true. We don't know when it's going to be, but we are nearer today than we ever have been. And it feels challenging to even say in today's culture, 
I believe in a second coming of Christ. It's not something that is talked about very much, not even in church. But I do believe that Jesus will return and he will make everything new. And let me just give you a little heads up. The older that you get, the more life experience you have, the more the highs and the lows, the more the joys and the sorrows, you'll find a really strange thing will happen to you because you'll begin to look forward to it. I know it might sound crazy right now when you're just thinking, I've got the whole of my life and, you know, I want to do things. But as you get older and you realize life is hard, there's a gradual longing that grows and grows and grows that longs for the day when all will be made well, when all will be put right. As the older you get, you see the injustices and you see the pain and you yourself experience the pain of life. I'm sure I know many of you here already. You know, there's nobody here who hasn't had some hits from their history. Every, every single one of us carries some pain. That's life. It's because we live in a fallen world and sometimes it falls on us. We live in brokenness. And we're not immune as Christians from what everyone else goes through. But a day will come, and this is why we've got hope. You know, we're going to be celebrating Christmas soon, but Christmas connected to Easter. And the whole thing about Easter is on the cross. Jesus reversed the wheel of human history and started to turn it back in the opposite direction because death got defeated. And it was that sign it was the beginning of the new creation, death defeated, and the beginning of the kingdom breaking in. A day will come when he will return. Rich said last week, we only have two days guaranteed, this day and that day, the day of his return. And we don't know when it will be because Jesus said we're not going to know. But we do need to live ready. It's, our, it's not our responsibility to predict exact timings but it is our responsibility to attend to our hearts and attend to our lives so that we're ready. Every generation needs to live as though it could be in their lifetime. And some of you um, might be drawn to different prophetic ministries and voices. Certainly all the prophetic people that I know and that I have heard speak in recent months are all saying similar things about the times that we are coming into around more turbulence around more shaking more uncertainty you know covid wasn't it it's not like oh now back to normal but as there's more shaking probably more than we've known before in this country certainly in my lifetime there's also going to be a corresponding time of awakening the shaking's going to continue, but with the shaking will come a spiritual awakening. And so we don't need to be worried about it because God will give us all we need. There's a brilliant verse, Hebrews 13 verse 5. I would encourage you to learn it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We do need to have an unshakable faith and a resolve to not quit when the going gets tough. 
You know, there might be some tough times, but the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we're connected to the Prince of Peace. And peace is real. It is. It's like, it's like this golden thread that connects us from heaven to earth. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Philippians 4. Take a read of Philippians 4. I actually think your generation needs to start learning chunks of Scripture. We don't know what the seasons to come are going to hold. You need to learn Scripture and have it like anchors in your soul. And so Philippians 4 says we have peace that goes beyond our understanding, that guards our hearts, which is the place of emotion, and guards our heads, which is the place of thinking. Your inheritance is to have a heart that is guarded by peace and a mind that is guarded by peace. And there's a war that's going on over your hearts and minds. And your inheritance is to have a golden thread of peace to the Prince of Peace. It actually means that whilst the world is shaking, you're not. It means the world can fall apart, but you don't. It means you can be devastated when stuff is happening, but not destroyed. And that is your inheritance. And people will start looking to those who are carrying this golden thread of peace it's like we'll be a non-anxious presence in the times of turbulence and uncertainty. People will start looking to you, start leaning into you because of the peace that you're carrying. James says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. In that part of the world, those of you that maybe do geography, you'll know there were early rains in October that caused seeds to germinate. Then there were late rains in April that caused the grain to swell and mature. There was patience in the waiting because the harvest needed to be ready. And sometimes Rich and I have little conversations. We're wondering, is God doing the same? You know, is God waiting for there to be an end time harvest that is ready? And then Jesus will come back. The final invasion of earth by heaven and Jesus returns. So we're told to be patient and stand firm. And then verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And so as we wait and as we trust, we keep our hearts right. We need to be careful what we say and what we sow because there's consequences to those things. And grumbling and negative commentary can become a bit of a, a script in your head, just constantly chuntering, mumbling, murmuring, grumbling. You know, if that's a constant script in your head, then I would encourage you just to say, no, that's not who I am. That's not how a child of God thinks. And it can then become a culture in a household. It can even become a culture in a church family, but not here. And then God is our judge. That's not often talked about, is it? God is our judge. What's really important for us to know as Christians, being judged is never about our salvation. It's always about our reward. Our salvation is secure. You must know that. That's really important for you to hold on to. So the question is, how can I delight him by having something of eternal value to lay at his feet? You know, the parable of the talents, you know, we've all been given good things from God to multiply. And that's, I know, something that both Rich and I carry deeply in our hearts, our time on earth. How are we investing it? What will we be giving back? 
1 Corinthians 3, some of you will be familiar with these verses. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. You know, friends, it's really easy to just accumulate stuff, but when the game of life is over, it all goes back in the box. What's of eternal value is people. Precious, irreplaceable people. I know there's going to be um, alpha courses being run, maybe this term, definitely next term. I'm a big fan of Alpha because people are the most important thing we can ever invest into, the only thing we can take with us. I do believe there's a harvest coming, and I know I want to play my part in that. And then going on then to verses 10 and 11, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We're told to be patient in the face of suffering, to look to the example of the prophetic voices in the past. And as we look back on the prophets in the Bible, much of their message came from the suffering that they were encountering in their lives. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet with all the rejection he encountered and having his heart broken as he was constantly calling back an unfaithful people back to God. Daniel was deported and put on uh, severe trials. Hosea's marriage broke down and he spoke about God being a husband to an unfaithful bride. Job had everything stripped away from him, but then everything restored. And yet they continued to speak in the name of the Lord. And the Bible says we now consider those who persevered as blessed. And we know, don't we, that there is a deep intimacy with Jesus that only comes from deep places, often of suffering. There are some treasures in the darkness that can only be found in the valleys. There's some spiritual authority that can only be gained by prayers that are prayed at certain times and certain moments. Some of you will be aware that we have lost two children, two out of our three, um, a son who was born and died at 24 hours, and then a lovely daughter, Lauren. Might get emotional again. Um, and one of the things that I think Lauren taught us is this whole thing of patience in suffering and, and an incredible ability to face death without fear. And um, we have also known that, that those times where we have, you know, had the scan results we never wanted to have, being at the, the graveside that we never wanted to be at, it's at those moments when you're in the darkest places and the enemy is taunting you to quit. There's like a voice, just quit, it's too much, it's too hard, give up, give in. A bit like that poem of what Simon Gilbert was saying. There's some moments in life, and there will be moments in your lives, where what you pray in those moments is so important in terms of who you become. And so when the enemy is going, just quit. 
for a quieter, deeper place still from this core of your being that says, no, still I will worship God. Still I will trust God. And I want to really encourage you to make a decision now, like a, like a, a resolve that says, on those days that I never wanted to live through, where there is a phone call, there is a scan result, there is a, you're by the grave of a loved one, that there's something deep inside of you that when there's a voice going, just quit, just quit, that you almost play out in your mind whilst the sort of the sea is relatively calm for you now, almost play it out in your mind that goes, no, because on that day, in that moment, when everything is conspiring to, to, to trip me up, to disqualify me from the race, play it out in your mind now that you say, no, I still will worship my God, and I still will trust him because he's trustworthy. Because if you can make those kinds of decisions now to be a good finisher and not just a good starter, it's those things that will keep you through those hard times. You know, pain is not the enemy. It's just pain. We often like to pain push, blame shift, sit on the pity pot. The worst thing is wasted pain. Because it's through pain that we often can grow. One of the things that we saw in, in, in Lauren was incredible grace in suffering. And grace comes in many forms. Sometimes we see grace for healing. And we go after that as a church. You know, we've seen healings. We're going to keep on praying for healings. But sometimes there's grace in suffering. And it was a remarkable thing to see a 13-year-old have unbelievable grace in suffering. She was never defeated by she had a brain tumor, it went on, she lost use of her legs and arms and sight. She was never defeated by suffering and she was never defined by it. Because that comes from that place of knowing first and foremost your primary identity is as a child of God. And when you know that, whatever's going on in your life, that doesn't define you. Being a child of God defines you. So the suffering prophets questioned, but they didn't quit. You read through the book of Job, full of questions, but he never quit. The suffering prophets suffered, but remained steadfast. What happens to us, we can't control. But what happens in us, we can. And that's what makes, that's what gives us great dignity, actually. That's what gives us great power. Because we have choice. Whatever happens to us, we have choice as to how we respond. That's incredibly empowering. Whatever you face, you have a choice. It's a bit like, you know, pain can make you bitter or it can make you better. You always have a choice. So we can face our future with confidence. Our life in Christ is hidden, secure, and can never be taken away. Whatever is happening externally, this, the part of the deepest, truest part of who we are, the part of us that is eternal, can never be taken away. 
So, verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's really important. I said it near the start about knowing who you are and knowing who God is. Know that God is full of compassion and mercy. Because particularly when life is hard, that's when the enemy will taunt you and try and convince you that is not true. Don't let our pain shape our image of God. Let our image of God shape our pain. And that allows for deep trust when maybe our human intellect is going, ah, this doesn't make sense. I don't like this. Ah. Then our intellect, our questions can be submitted to what our spirit says. So another definition of faith at times is to walk through the middle of pain and not turn our face away from the Father. And then lastly, verse 12, um, it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Another sign of being all in, wholehearted, trusting God is basically your yes to be yes and your no to be no. This isn't actually talking about the swearing that we might think of swearing, like the effing and blinding swearing. Now, that's not a good idea. That's not great as people of God. Um, this is talking about a different kind of swearing. This is a kind of a, um, it was a practice in the early church where in order to prove that you were telling the truth, you would swear, like you'd do an oath that, that whatever you said, you say, I swear in the name of God. And basically, James is just saying, like, cut all that faff out. If you're, really, if you're really rooted in God, then your track record is a consistent one that you're going to be truth-telling. So following this theme of running the race well and not quitting, um, I just want to read out another poem. So we started with a poem, we're ending with a poem the text of a poem that was found in the room of a young adult in Rwanda, 1980. And he wrote these words, and the following day, he was given a choice to renounce his faith or to be killed. He chose Christ, and then obviously saw him face to face. So this is what he wrote. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed, I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees. Remember James was called camel knees? This guy says, I'm finished with smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience. I'm uplifted by prayer and I labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. Hesitate in the presence of adversity. Negotiate at the table of the enemy. Pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. 
shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach till all know and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. So friends, don't quit. Whatever life throws at you, don't quit. Invest in things of eternal value, which is essentially people. Know that Jesus is coming back. He really is. And be ready. So we're going to go back into worship. And whilst that's happening, if there's somebody that you just want to, they might be sitting near you, you might need to get up. You just want to say to them, thank you for not quitting. Like, I know this has been tough, but you're here. And you're still going. Then you might just want to go and, you know, give them that encouragement. Pray for them, bless them, thank them for not quitting.